Welcome to Collisions YYC, Beyond the Echo. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. In this special series of episodes, I tackle the question of how does the world see Calgary and what can we learn from it? This is a journey of curiosity, of taking the time to gain the insights of the people that are outside of our day-to-day conversations. I'm seeking to learn where there are gaps, misunderstandings, and most importantly, opportunities for us to grow. During this intense period of economic transformation, I'm not willing to leave any stone unturned that may give us an advantage for the road ahead. Join me as I chat with thought leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers of the world to learn their perceptions of our amazing city from beyond the echo. Well, good morning. Well, hey, it was time to push record. Joel and I have been having a great yak about travel and uh, the perspective of the world, which is what we're here to talk about today. So Joel Lietzow, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Tyler. It's an honor to be here. Forward, You're my second episode on Beyond the Echo, where I think you have a very unique perspective and one we're going to get into today, not to, not to, not to add any pressure, but a gentleman who you, you make your home in Calgary, but then you, you work in technology on a global, on a global stage with, from our earlier conversation, uh, uh, some unique perspectives on the Calgary economic situation, our realities. So maybe before we get into any of that, let's talk about your current endeavor. You're with a company called uh, named Waro. That's right. And maybe before I even butcher what you guys do, as I'm as I'm spent some time on your website, what what are you guys all about? Yeah. So um, young company, Tyler, three years old. I've been with the company for twelve months. Uh, I spent the first 24 months uh, with two real technological missions to deploy artificial intelligence and blockchain in a cooperative way to add real business value to a customer. And at the time, a lot of folks were out flying the blockchain. It's going to save the world flag. Um, a lot of smart people have been there, done that. We've been through the windows, the dot-coms, the web interfaces, the browsers. And, you know, in many cases, this was underwhelming. Uh, to the business community. But what Oro did so differently, and frankly, at that time, it was called Block, was they would go into companies like GlaxoSmithKline, one of our larger clients, and say, let's not talk about blockchain. Let's not talk about AI. Let's talk about the fact that you're spending 5,000 hours a year processing paper, and we could spend zero hours processing on tablets and by the way, here's some additional benefits of the AI and blockchain. And as soon as we stopped positioning the product as blockchain, and as I often say to people, I've been in tech for 30 years, we never went, hey, I'm going to sell you something with a database. We said, I'm going to sell you something that works for your business, right? So once we changed the marketing position from science speak and, you know, hey, buzzword cool speak and to, hey, I'm going to solve a problem that's going to pay you to be my client. The business has just taken off. So uh, first year, 40,000, second year, 2 million. We are a month into our third year with 3 million in this year already. <laughs> and how, how, to ask the obvious question, how have things been for you guys through the last three, three and a half months uh, during COVID and kind of obviously you guys work on a global stage. Has that created more opportunities for you, slowed things down or what, how's that, how's that been for you guys? You know, it's a bit of everything. First of all, as a person with a lot of empathy for the world, my customers, my friends, um, it makes me sick, quite frankly, pardon the pun, that there's a lot of pain and suffering out there that are going on despite a virus, uh, economic hardship, um, you know, depression, etc. But here's what I would say about mm-hmm. Oro is, fortunately, I think our team is, is, is quite skillful in adapting. And we had an access control system that was using facial recognition to allow access to very secure areas. Think airports, nuclear power plants, um, headquarters, uh, the, the soccer stadium in Madrid, by the way, you know, using our technology for that. So, Pre-COVID, we were a pure play facial recognition access and control with the nth degree of security based on the blockchain. Uh, The first 24 hours of COVID news, I was flying back from Denver on what I always call my last flight of the old world. Uh, I spent the weekend with my engineering team and we said, God, we're either going to get crushed or we're going to figure this out. So how do we figure this out? And what we did was we augmented the facial recognition technology with some thermal cameras from FLIR. F-L-I-R, and combining the two of I can match your identity of your face to the temperature of your, between your eye sockets, quite frankly, is where we take it, in one non-touch being the key, passive, really nice customer experience. So imagine walking into a stadium 
and we've taken your temperature, we've identified you as Tyler, we've ticked your ticket as you're supposed to be there and open the gate all based on your face. Um, that's way different than here's my PDF flames ticket. Here's a security guard with a new gun looking thing called the thermometer. They're going to stick on my forehead. Well, didn't you just stick that on 30,000 other people's foreheads? That's not going to play in the new world, right? So what we, what we did was turn on a dime in about a weekend. We built the integration of the cameras. We set up a prototype and we went to market. And when I say we went to market, we went to market March 1st, right? So uh, hence our $3 million in growth in the past 90 days has been very much because of this opportunity created by COVID. And yet the double-edged sword of that is I also have very traditional customers that are either not doing the volumes with us or the, the, the sale has been postponed because they're in chaos and there's yeah, nothing we can do about that. So, you know, what I'd say is I think we position our, ourselves as well as we could under the circumstances. I don't want to sound opportunistic, but we do have a temperature screening function to scan for COVID and people think it's hot and uh, again, pardon the bun. And I was going to let, I was, I wasn't sure if I was going to let you go with that no, one, Joel. Or no. not. <laughs> and what you're going to see is you're going to see, you're going to see oral popping up in lights at airports around the world. Uh, we have a, a relationship with ICAO, which is a, an underling of the United Nations for all civil aviation regulation and governance. Okay. Yep. And uh, they've been helping us promote our product because of its intense security level. And as you can imagine, the way the airport community works, if there's 200 member countries in the world, the weakest link is the problem. So what they'll do is they'll collect money at the United Nations and redistribute funding through the World Bank to I'm picking on Jordan, so I hope no Jordanian listeners. But as an example, if Jordan couldn't pay for the equipment to be on par with Heathrow, the World Bank would loan them the money. ICAO would help them fund it so that they're not the weakest link. And so we're we're working with that entire organization to spread our technology to quite literally every airport on earth is the goal. That's interesting. I didn't know it worked that way. When you think of them as their own individual hubs, but it's they're protecting access to the network because once you're inside that that wall, if you will, uh, you know, a, a weak security breach in one area becomes vulnerability in another because they're all interconnected once you're in the system. That's right. Yeah, it makes sense when you say it aloud. I just never thought about it that Literally, way. Literally, it's a habit trail that's global. It's all connected with tubes. You get on a plane and now I'm in Heathrow in the middle of the airport and I never went through Heathrow security. It's, yeah, it's literally envisioning the old warehouse with the those air tubes all moving around where stuff's shunting all over yeah. the place. The, you know, the, the steampunk sci-fi kind of thing. But you're right, we're just, we're flying, we're flying in a tube from from place to place. So curious question, this is me nerding out maybe and going down a weird rabbit hole. When, obviously you're using blockchain technology to help identify when that facial recognition, that individual comes in, who they are and matching them up against who they are in the system. When you do the temperature checks, and maybe I'm not even understanding the first part correctly, when you do the temperature checks, is it simply a temperature deviation based on a certain accepted parameter, or is it a record of that person's temperature over a period of time that now all of a sudden has changed significantly from past temperature checks? So I'm going to nerd out with you. I love this. So okay, th- said, okay thanks. Mm-hmm. I just went way down around yeah, no, right there. So, so here's the way it really works: is the identity of the individual is your face, but the actual data store of that is a hash in the blockchain, and yeah. within that hash, there is no Tyler, first name, T-Y-L-E-R, period. Okay. So if, okay. if you were able to break into my data store and steal my hash of Tyler, you get nothing but a hash in a blockchain. Right. Okay. So, so part of the beauty of this technology, and I don't mean to be this huge blockchain advocate, but I am, is that... <laughs> Might as well be. Yeah, the bottom line is, is that in the old world of databases, DB2, Access, Microsoft, SQL Server, whatever... If I was able to penetrate your firewall, I got it all. Uh, And and you and I can go through the list. I won't embarrass their executives, but Canadian companies and American companies have been, you know, unfortunately, 15 million customers' examples of losing information because of one hack, right? In a blockchain. It's a daily. It's it's not if, it's when is what I hear from anyone who works in IT security. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, there is no defense. But here is the defense, is you move the motivation, So if you can break into my blockchain, you're going to get a record, not records, a record, and you're going to need a quantum computer to do it. You're going to need a whole bunch of time. But does the end justify the means, right? If I'm going to hack into the Home Depot credit card database, 
point. There's millions, if not billions, of dollars of opportunity. It, 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 it's worth it's worth my time and investment. It's worth the, my the, time. The juice, is, the juice is worth the squeeze. That's right. And we've made the juice not worth the squeeze. So it, it's not about technology anymore. It's about actual practicality. Wow, an amazing term in technology, right? So we've created something <laughs> that's really practical. It's quite inexpensive. Um, it works. And, you know, what I'm finding is, uh, depending on where I walk around the world, Europe is very much, I'll say, without insulting my brethren in North America, two to three years more into real deployments of usable blockchain. And North America is still going, well, we tried to kick the can two years ago. We failed. There's no reason to talk about it again. Mm, I see. So would you say, because this, hey, we're pivoting. This is a perfect pivot. Uh into what we're talking about, kind of the view from outside the echo chamber of Calgary specifically, but even let's start on a broader scale. So technology and access to talent and access to the good stuff is no different where you are in the world. There's just a, a, a higher willingness to adopt in Europe. It might, again, I'm oversimplifying for the sake of the, the sound bites here, but is that, am I hearing that correctly? Um, you know what? Uh, yes, you are. And I guess probably the way I'd liken it is, I don't know if you remember... 15 years ago when Bluetooth came out and I was traveling around mm -hmm. the world and I, I remember going on a boat and the captain handed me uh, his phone and he's like, you want to drop your pictures onto my, my tablet, you can use Bluetooth. And I'm like, blue, what? Uh, it, it was okay. another seven years for that to get from a sailboat in the Caribbean to, to North America as a technology we talked about seven years, right? So why was this sailor from New Zealand seven years ahead of his time on Bluetooth? He wasn't. The culture over there is just more adaptable, right, to technology. So what I'd suggest is when I go to meetings in North America, people are trying to come up with a reason not to believe in blockchain. When I go to Europe, they've already accepted the value, and they're actually quite astute in understanding this cybersecurity layer and that it has nothing to do with Bitcoin or, you know, um, yeah. I think that's oftentimes those things get immediately just associated. Oh, that means that it's like, well, no, actually. Yeah, no, not actually <laughs> at all. You know, it, it, yes, there's yeah. a cryptocurrency aspect to what you can do with the technology, but what makes the technology so cool is what protects the monetary value is the cryptocurrency wrapper of the cybersecurity layer of the blockchain. And that is the right. value to me. So let's go back to your question on the pivot of, of global company in Calgary. So real quick, just so the folks know, I know you know, I moved to Calgary in 2015. Um, I took the job, as I would guess many uh, folks who move here do, is my recruiter sent me a photo of the Bow River in the city of Calgary on a sunny day looking at the mountains. And I said, oh, my God, I'm a skier. <laughs> I'm an outdoor adventurist. Uh, this has got to be the best place on earth for me to live. So. You know, with with very limited uh, to do, my family made the decision to quite literally sell our house in Atlanta after 20 some years of living there and move to Canada and Calgary and accept this job of running a public company here in town. And I didn't know anything about oil and gas. I mean, other than spark plugs and, you know, normal guy stuff. But the industry, no, man, I really didn't. And the the condition of the industry in 2015, no idea. What I knew was I took a tech job CEO, never thought oil would affect me. And then I found out that my 14,000 customers I inherited were all in Alberta or Houston mm -hmm. and 100% of my client base was in the oil business. And I thought- And, it, and, it, and 2015 was just about to happen around you essentially or, or was happening at that time. <laughs> I, I, I'm not exaggerating that the, the business I was in was a, a volume of invoices on a network. So basically as any- Oil production happens, invoices are created between buyers and suppliers. Our volume, which is how we got paid by the, the transaction, dropped 40% in the first six months. I was the CEO completely based on the economic condition in Alberta. Not a damn thing I could do as an executive about it, except resize the ship, try to figure it out, work with our customers on all of us not going bankrupt in unison. And figure it out. And, and as you probably know, we built the company regardless of that macro headwind through 2019 and ultimately mm -hmm. sold it uh, to a company out of the United States for triple the value of 2015. So great story. Great Calgary story, right? I mean, there's not many tech companies in Calgary that started at the UFC 15 years ago and are now owned by a private equity firm with $7 billion in their bank and thought it was an attractive buy. 
they got Coke. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know the back. I didn't. Oh, that's interesting to hear the kind of that that heritage. You know, fifteen years of a tech startup is a heritage story for for an Alberta based interest. Yeah, literally out of the incubator at the UFC. I've been to you know like historically, I I used to go to A one hundred meetings that were downstairs from the cubicle that Cortex was born in, right upstairs. It was just kind of a interesting, but very much a, a true Calgary story. So. You know, like like many CEOs, uh, when a transaction happens, um, in some cases in my life now with six of them, I stayed at Descartes for six years. But in this case, uh, I wanted to move out of that industry, quite frankly. It wasn't where I'd come from. I'm really a supply chain and logistics guy. And uh, yet I still wanted to stay in Calgary. So when I went job shopping, it was kind of with the, I'm not going to move to Halifax. I'm not going to move to Toronto. This is where I live. And if that's good enough, and you believe in remote executive ship <laughs> with some plane tickets, uh, I'm your guy. And so here I am, you know, gainfully employed in Calgary by a, a company, as we talked about, headquartered out of Halifax and Madrid, Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm the only guy in town who works for the company. But, um, you know, that being said, I, I do love it in Calgary. And, and if there was an opportunity for me to expand our business here, um, wait, it only makes logical sense because I'm here. So I think you're going to want to talk about why not, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, no, you're 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 just teeing them up for me, and I'm going to just hit them, <laughs> pop them up over the wall. I, I, I appreciate, you know, I got I got a hardworking guest today, folks. It's great. <laughs> um, well, so so, but interesting to hear your background of being involved with Cortex and being like invested and engaged and getting into the Calgary. Cause there's one thing to, I'm an executive who chooses to live here, but my business is somewhere else. But from 2015 onward, you were very much involved with the quote unquote tech startup scene in Calgary through the university, through yep. the A100. So that, you know, there's a different story of someone who just happens to move here because he quote unquote, like skiing and the Bow River versus being involved and then choosing to stay. So I guess perspectives that you had through, you know, coming from, you know, us based being in Atlanta Coming into Calgary in 2015, was there any like, what the heck is going on here? Or did you find that there was a pretty strong ecosystem to support tech? I guess, what were some of the gaps you saw from 2015 even onward? Well, gaps are been positives, not all negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, let me share a few with you because, yes, I was shocked. Uh, and, and to be real, I had exactly. run a business in the United States for a, a Waterloo-based company called Descartes for six years. So the Canadian culture, the Canadian monetary system, rules, parliament, all that stuff were pretty known to me when I moved to Calgary. Okay. okay? Still. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't, you didn't come in completely blind. No, mm-hmm. but that's part of what I'm going to say is I didn't realize how blinded I was going to be. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, so I'll just give you some examples. Uh, I came shopping for a house. I realized that the housing costs here were approximately three times the cost of housing in Atlanta. So I was about to buy the most expensive house of my life and the smallest house of my life on the same day. Um, I went grocery shopping the very first week. And this is a funny story that people may either go, that's silly, or I remember. My wife and I went shopping and we were filling our grocery cart at one of the local Calgary stores. And, you know, one, I'm doing the Canadian price conversion in my head because you can imagine if everything is 35% on the gain, it just looks really expensive to me, right? But I remember my wife breaking down in tears and saying, Joel, we can't afford to live here. Like literally, we're at the grocery store wondering if we can afford, you know, $8 for a gallon of milk when we were paying $2 for a gallon of milk last week. And I just took a pay cut from my U.S. job to come to Calgary to live my dream out as a CEO. So it was this horrifying week of our lives. Can't afford to live here. Oh my God, what did I do? Um, And then Calgary embraced us. I found out how wonderful the people are. I found out how entrepreneurial this city is. Uh, And I will say this, um, and again, I hope your listeners don't go, oh, that ugly American. The truth is, I think that generally Canada is not that entrepreneurial, right? I've spent time in Montreal, Quebec, Halifax, Vancouver, and Calgary. Calgary is the entrepreneurial headquarters of Canada, in my opinion. And so therefore, it's my people and it's where I belong. And that culture is fantastic, right? So I found the right people. I found the work ethic. Um, I found a real, doesn't matter if it's 40 hours a week or 80 hours a week, we're going to get it done. And that's, again, something I haven't generally seen across some of the other provinces by, again, generalization of attitude. So that was really conducive. But I remember saying to my CFO at that time, 
uh, Sandra, how are we going to pay for developers? I mean, we write software. It's what we do. In a town that doesn't have a lot of talent, and the talent that's here is really expensive, and the cost for that talent to be here is really expensive, how do I compete on a global level with people in Mexico or Portugal or Spain or, or Alabama, United States? They all have a lower cost of living for my team. So I use this comparative often. When I would hire someone out of Georgia Tech in Atlanta, when I lived there as a, a CEO, uh, $70,000 U.S. starting, so that'd be hundred grand Canadian, would get them a four-bedroom house in the suburbs with a pool on a half acre of land and walking distance to a public school for their kids. In Calgary, 100,000 Canadian might get you, you and your friend hold up in a condo together or a duplex, right? It's certainly not going to buy you a starter home of $550,000 in this city uh, unless you irresponsibly sign a mortgage, like most of us do, including myself. So yeah. from that perspective, it's it's really not an easy place to build a tech company because the cost of competing for labor on a global basis are there. So the other side is you have this awesome lifestyle. So, you know, once again, um, I can grow a company out of Calgary and have an employee who wants to live in Toronto has his own lifestyle and I get to enjoy the best of both worlds. And so do they. And at the same time, I get to look at the talent pool within Calgary and say, Hey, would you like to join my team? Um, you know, it's a global organization and this is what we do. Do you currently have anybody on your current team who's based in Calgary? Just me. No, just yourself. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. That's what I heard. Was yeah. What, what I have here though, is a network of partners. Um, you know, there's, uh, uh, plenty of startups in town that, uh, you know, I would say this, it's a very wholesome and wonderful community. If you're not involved in it, I'd encourage you to be, uh, it is my form of philanthropy, right? I, I'm an old dude. I've been through this a couple of times. I kind of know the SaaS business, the license business and the software model, and I find that okay. this is a lot of fun to hang around with people in town who are figuring that all out for the first time. As we talked about some of the organizations, Startup A100, uh, Rainforest, et cetera, plenty of opportunity mm -hmm. in Calgary for free space right now or a government funded space to do this. So yeah, we have, we definitely something we have an abundance of right now is space. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing I'm going to say is, you know, once again, you know, everybody on the call is probably in the same mood, but I've lost 20 to 30% on my house in Calgary and, Four years. Well, That's, and I just I just listened to CBC this morning, and they're projecting another thirty percent over the next of the next sixteen or eighteen months. They had they had a whole section on it this morning. Right. I was like, okay, so that's on top of the the hit we've already had. Because yes, I I I bought my current house six years ago, so yeah, I'm right in that sweet spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and at the same time, what I'd say is it's a double edged sword because right. with the inflated real estate. Let me say this: I'm going to give an even better example to try and do a startup out of Vancouver where we can all, ex, you know, just assume as Albertans that the, the Vancouver uh, is more expensive. It's the same mm -hmm. comparative here. So I'm going to lose a bunch of money on my house if I decide to sell it and leave. But you know what it does is this reckoning or leveling bubble popping is really going to create an opportunity for a rebirth of the city because people will be able to afford it in a way that they haven't. And so I like and, that. No, I like that because you know, it's, it's going to level things down. A yeah, bit. we're going to suffer. And, and yet – at least all I'm saying is the suffrage is going to happen regardless. Our oil business is on its butt. Um, there isn't yep. enough great jobs to support a million hardworking families in this town and pay them as well as we paid them in 2014. So yes, we, a we did have the bar. The bar was set exceptionally. That's high right. Well. And the correction is here. We don't have a choice, but at least the good news about the correction is there will spawn less profitable businesses than oil and gas who could not have survived here five years ago can probably mm -hmm. not only survive here, but thrive here in 2020. Yeah. Yes. The adaptation phase that we're going through like over the last five years and you're, and you're seeing it, the company, especially the, the, you know, the junior to mid oil and gas space, the ones that were built on a very specific model. And that model is just no longer, it's just no longer around and nor will it be coming back in the, you know, my, the crystal ball future. No. And you know, what I'll say is in my life, I used to see local capital, right? Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, which is a farm community, but the mm -hmm. corn guys loaned money to the pig guys, and then the pig guys loaned money to the corn guys. And my point is all of the capital <laughs> stayed in our town or our province. Yes. <laughs> what was funding our company at Cortex was a global list of investors. They were not necessarily Calgary-based. And interestingly enough, here we have a business born out of Calgary, 
Um, you know, as I suggested, 90 plus percent of our clients in Alberta or Houston in the oil business. And yet the bottom line is we couldn't do uh, that with this environment under those conditions. Right. Um, right. And now I think things have changed and, you know, it would be a better time to do those things in Alberta. Um, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who's doing a, a fish farm. I have a friend of mine who's doing a shrimp farm. Well, who would have thought they'd put a shrimp farm in Alberta and it would be cost effective to do so? And I'd argue you couldn't have. You, you <laughs> yeah. couldn't have. No, no, I definitely would not. I, I would have picked no if I was giving it. Is this happening or not? I would have gone with no. Because you and I are used to, well, geez, he's going to have to pay a million dollars for five acres of land to put that shrimp farm on, even out in Airdrie. But the reality mm -hmm. of it is, is those prices have come down. Now it allows the economy to flourish from the bottom and produce industries mm -hmm. that would otherwise just never have got a kickstart here. That's I appreciate the, the, you know, out of, out of every situation, we know we don't like change, but let's take the time to think about the positive side effects of reducing barrier to entry. Essentially, And that's what you've reducing done. Cost. Um, you know, yeah. people used to say to me in 2015, do you think this oil town can be a tech town? And my response is not with $15 A&W hamburgers. And uh, right. $500,000 starter just doesn't make sense. Well, because look, you and I talked about it on our first, the, the global capital and what the perspective of global capital, you know, looking at all those variables, like you said, when you look at Calgary from the outside, it just isn't, doesn't look viable. Mm -hmm. No, we're Synovus today, right? Denver, Colorado. Right. When did they go there? 24 months ago. That is a born and bred, I don't know if technically a crown corp, but we let our golden goose leave Alberta because we made it financially impossible for them to stay. And now we're going to have to live with it, meaning live with what our government has done. Not blaming the people. I'm blaming the people in power. Mm -hmm. But they've done it. It's, it's no longer even debatable. They've done it. They've killed it. So we got to fill it or the people in the city are going to be in really dire straits. So when you're out abroad, what is the perspective of Calgary from, you know, is, is, does it, well, I guess, first of all, does it even come up in conversation? You're dealing with global clients, your, you know, your team is globally dispersed. Does Calgary even come up in the conversation or is that just the place that Joel lives? To, I'm really over, I really oversimplified with that one, but you know, does it even get on the radar? Here's, here's what I'm going to say again. I, I don't like to talk in generalities, but in this case, we kind of have to, right? Because these are going to be opinions. Tyler, you, you mentioned earlier to me that, you know, you had spent some time in your youth out in Quebec. And what I'm always amazed at is I go to Quebec quite a bit for business. It's actually a capital hub. For those of you who don't know that, the, the capital float in Montreal is quite large. So as a public company CEO, I'd go to Montreal to raise money. And so I, mm -hmm. I met a lot of folks there and they'd say, oh, you're from Alberta. And a lot of it, even though I'm from Wisconsin, my accent, people typically don't question that I'm Calgarian, right? <laughs> and being a big fan of the West and being a big fan of Alberta and learning some nonsense about reformation payments and how much Alberta's funded the rest of Canada, I'm quite a believer in defending this part of the country. Oh, you, and, you, and if you're going to want to get it into a tussle, Quebec's a good place to have that conversation. <laughs> well, but here's what I'd say. So I'm sitting with friends of mine who are empathetic business guys and, and would be really concerned if they understood the problem of what we're facing out here. And, you know, kind of my statement, if you bastards cause this over East, mm -hmm. I don't even know. They don't even know. No, they it's don't. not even that it's not even in their newscast. Right. When I say, do you guys realize that we have 20 percent unemployment and a 30 percent vacancy in our downtown buildings? Like, I never heard that. How do you not know that as a Canadian about Canadian? But my point is, is, is that's the East Coast Canadian perception of Calgary is you're a bunch of rich guys out at West. You don't need our help. And hey, maybe you're taking your lumps right now. Too bad. It's about time. And I yeah. find it yeah. horrible, horrible. Matter of fact, like fistfight horrible. On the flip side, you asked me about the world. Calgary is an Olympic city to everybody else. I know that sounds funny, and people often debate about the value of carrying an Olympic Games. Generally, I carry an Olympics that I wasn't even in the city for with me when I go because that's how everybody recognizes <laughs> Calgary Olympics, that's right? Yep. Um, and skiing, um, you know, everybody knows Banff. I'm often shocked at how many people in my world travels be like, oh, I've been to Lake Louise. Like, really? <laughs> uh, but anyway, the point but yet, is... But yet Calgary, they haven't been to Calgary because they got off the plane and went straight to Lake Louise. That's what I've that's experienced. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I'd say is that, you know, let's talk about a couple things. Uh, I've always been thrilled and proud to say that Canada technology is respected on a global stage. 
Okay. If I walk into a meeting at anywhere on earth and say I'm a Canadian company with Canadian tech, it's as respected as any place else on earth, right? It's kind of like saying I have a Swiss watch <laughs> versus a Japanese watch, right? Clearly one has more cachet. Canada has some cachet. So it's really a, a great thing for Calgary and Canada on the global front to be able to say that, right? And is that is that curious? Is that just from, is there a couple of key companies that have been responsible for that? When I think of, you know, attributing Canada to maple syrup and hard work and, you know, hockey, not necessarily technology. There, to me, there must have been, is there a few brands in your mind that have, that have done that for us? Sure. I mean, obviously, BlackBerry comes yeah, to mind first. Would have been my right? first, been probably my first and maybe my Nortel, maybe my second guess way back. But Yeah, yeah, Nortel. Um, you know, and frankly, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, praise my old alma mater, Descartes. Descartes runs a $3 billion business that's worldwide out of Waterloo, Canada. Uh, they tap most of their people out of the University of Waterloo. And I don't mean to say they've made each other mutually famous, uh, but they have. And it's one of the greatest tech company stories in Canadian history. So, uh, they've delivered quality product to thousands, if not tens of thousands of clients around the world with a Canadian brand mm, and a Canadian flag, which is pretty damn cool. Mm-hmm, that is. So that's interesting. So from a Canadian wide perspective, uh, positive green light, okay, stamp, like you've got some brand equity when you walk in with a technology play based in Canada. That's good to hear. I've, I haven't heard that laid out that way. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to say it to you like this. I mean, once again, don't forget I'm American. I get to carry this wonderful blessing of people perceiving I'm Canadian And I'm going to tell you what that perception is. Integrity, kindness, trustfulness, obviously a little bit of jokes about apologies, (laughs) but it's all positive, Tyler, right? On the flip side, there are times and, you know, pardon my, uh, my fellow American patriots on the phone call, but the reality of it is, is I don't carry an American flag or wear a red, white, and blue t-shirt when I go to Spain. I'd prefer to represent Canada based on the way that I'm treated on the global stage. Um, you know, Americans, I'm going to go the other way. Well, they're aggressive and they're, you know, they're maybe greedy and they work too hard and they do all these other things that are, you know, I'd say misperceptions of Americans. But if I had to take a stereotypical label, I'm going to carry the the maple flag, my friend. <laughs> Which every backpacker from here to the, to, to whenever knows that, knows that truth, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Put the, put the Canadian flag on and you're, uh, and you're, and you're going to have a bit of a different experience. That's right. Which is... So when it comes to Calgary, aside from the aside from the Olympics, and obviously you're not in a position with your current organization where you're where you're looking to raise funds in this city, or no, is, sure I am. I've had some. Sure. I, I've had, okay, I've had some guests on talking about. I think I had uh, Hanif Shashkani from Simon on a couple weeks ago, and he made the comment that his belief was only about one to two percent of any kind of startup seed capital that was coming into the city was local. All the rest was coming from outside of our, of our borders. I just never heard a percentage put to it like that. Well, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to call him. I don't know him, but 99% of statistics are made up. That's my, sti- <laughs> that, that, that's my statistic, <laughs> that, right? Yeah, no. And, I, I, and if said with confidence, can be very, very powerful in a, in a, in a, in a setting. But anyway, I'll, I'll, let's just go with a low number of the money that is used here for tech startups comes from here was, was, your, and, and man, if you haven't experienced that, I'm kind of testing that theory. I, I, like I, I, I get a lot of theories thrown at me. I like to retest them out to the market to get different opinions. Here's what I'm going to share with you is times have changed in a very drastic way in the last five years. Um, people bet on what they know, right? If I'm a blackjack player, I don't yeah. go to the casino and play roulette. I go play blackjack. Well, the guys in this town and girls, I don't mean to be, you know, chauvinistic, the, the people in this town with capital yep. to invest, yep. We're investing in oil and gas startups because that's what they do. And if, of course, and that's, that's the no fault. That's just being human. It's just right? being human. And, and maybe I'm going to invest in a tech startup for oil and gas that's actually going to help my oil and gas company, which is a double win for me, right? It's an investment win and a business win. So I would say the culture of Alberta for maybe 50 years was local capital, lots of it uh, reinvested in the local economy and, and, you know, a friends and family network of who's who, five big families, you know, sharing the wealth and changing it around. Here's 2020. Yep. Here's 2020. <laughs> Went on a ski trip last year with one of my favorite oil guys. And he said, you know, I used to be worth $400 million and now I'm worth 40. It's been a rough five years. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> okay. All right. right? And, and, you know, I, you, you, you have the floor, sir. Please continue. <laughs> exactly, and it kind of made me, you know, one, feel, feel sorry for him, but it was really a, a testament to say what he said to me was, how do I take my last remaining $40 million and keep it by investing in something other than oil and gas, Mr. Tech Guy? 
So I've been running around town. You, you, you became the face of tech right there in that conversation. That's right. So I've been running around town for the last three years, meeting with everybody who's invested capital in oil and gas to go, do you get three baggers there? Do you get five baggers there? Like what, what's your appetite for risk equals upside? And how do you beat a 92% SaaS platform, meaning 92% margin SaaS platform with a drilling bit company? You just can't. Right. So right. what I try to do is through the education of the folks in Calgary is there is an alternative from your investment strategy. There is an opportunity to reseed your capital locally and actually meet the people you're investing in, which I think is crazily important. Right. Um, and so I'm going to tell you the attitude is shifting. So if people are trying to raise money in this city for tech, it's there. You have to know the right people to introduce your success. And these people are scared. They're ignorant to mm-hmm. what you do. So. It is a lot about integrity. If you're not bringing that, having earned that label of integrity to the table, you're probably not going to get what you want. But I, I will say I've been thrilled. I mean, there's plenty of shops here in town that are, you know, I'll say funds that were A, invested mm-hmm. in Cortex and uh, very interested in investing in my new company. So when you say, are you raising money in Calgary? The answer is, hell yeah, I am. It's the people, it's okay. the place right. I know the people the best and the people know me the best. And it's probably my best opportunity for, you know, being able to share my story quickly and raise the capital we need to get back to actually operating instead of being in raise mode all the time. Right. Well, and, and every time you get a win, like a Cortex story, that's a, that's a proof point of like, okay, you know, it, it starts, it shifts beliefs and that doesn't happen necessarily overnight. Well, I, I, I've been very lucky and I've been surrounded by great people. I've had wonderful mentors, but the statistics are I've run six companies, two of them, my own startups. Uh, every single one of them has been, I guess Cortex was the worst return at three X in four years, but most of them have been, you know, 10 X or more. I've never had a, a, a market loss. Uh, so I don't say that to boast. My time is coming. But the truth is, I haven't had that <laughs> that loss. So I'm walking in as a 53-year-old man with a relatively perfect resume of doubling, tripling, or quadrupling people's money. I'm a pretty good bet. Fair enough. And at the age old, you don't, you don't buy, you don't invest in companies, you invest in people and leadership teams and track records and all those things are true. And, and no matter how complex or how global the world gets, we still are human and we connect with relationships and people. Like sometimes it's easy to make it sound more complicated and there's a lot of twists and turns, but I've had a lot of guests come on and like, if you're not out there, like shaking hands, getting to know people, letting them understand who you are, orchestrating a story that people can actually understand, uh, then, you know, don't blame the market, kind of blame your own situation for not setting yourselves up to be there to receive that money when it's time. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hey, and you know, I'll share something else with you that fundamentals, real business fundamentals are always attractive to raise money. The challenge I see, mm-hmm. not just in Calgary, but most places today with tech is there are no fundamentals. I have an idea. I want you to fund my idea with your money. If I make yes. a product, I want to become really rich as the founder, but I want you to pay for it all. And that doesn't yep. fly <laughs> on, on the investment <laughs> side. I appreciate how you just broke that right down. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I, I heard someone say to me the other day, they'd actually called me to raise money for me, right, as a, an individual investor. And I said, how much do you have in the game? She said, I don't use, other, I don't use my own money for investments. <laughs> I was ready to hang up. So you want me to put my skin in your game, but you don't even put your own skin in the game? The first quote, yeah, isn't that what, isn't that one of the most basic kind of fundamentals of like, well, how, how invested are you to kind of show that this is what it Amen, is? Brother. I owned, yeah. I, I owned 5% of a public company as the CEO and people would ask me or tell me, you don't own enough. You know, you know, you shouldn't be driving a BMW. You should be, you know, driving a Kia and put that money into Cortex because that's what you want me to do. And the truth yes. is, yes, you do, Tyler. So again, I'm just you know <laughs> explaining to people, if you're going to play this game, you better put your own you know, ass on the chopping block, your own capital on the line, and your own reputation at stake if you think other people are going to fund your cause. Yes, I've had a few conversations with friends lately whose businesses are challenging, and they're like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I need to raise money. I'm like, well, I know you've got some money. Where you get, well, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm like, man, it's your basket, man. <laughs> That's right. Like, it's your basket. Yeah. And you're the one running down the street asking other people to throw things into it. I'm like, I don't – oh, geez, I never looked at it that way. I'm like, I didn't think there was another way to look at it. But anyways, there always is. Well, <laughs> it has changed, is. and it's wrong, and, and hence me trying to point out to the group that it's wrong, that this isn't the way capital is raised. Capital is raised on business fundamentals. Two plus two right. could equal six. How does that happen? 
you know, why is it not four logically? And, and that's the sale. But if you don't have two plus two equals four, you got a non-starter. And the problem is most. Well, I'm more concerned that your two plus two actually equals three from what I'm seeing here. That's right. right. Actually. Yeah. I was just going to say two plus two equals zero, right? As most startups. (laughs) Um, But you know, I'm also going to say this, we talked about statistics a minute ago and my whole life, I've heard this nonsense, you know, 90% of businesses fail in the first year and, you know, there, there may be some truth to that, but I don't think it's that hard. I'm a really average guy. I'm not smarter than anyone else. I work hard. I try to be fair. But the truth of it is, is starting a business and growing a business is pretty easy because what I find is most people don't want to do those basic things. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to be honest. They don't want to tell the truth. Um, they don't want to make <laughs> sacrifices. And so it's really not that competitive to survive. And so when I say I've never lost a business, you know, in a down, it's never even come close. I've never even had the thought of, oh, my God, my business might not make it, including the one I'm in now. But, you know, I, I say this and, and it doesn't matter where I've lived. If I wanted to get a painter for my house, I could find nine horrible ones and one good one. Right. So if I wanted to start a painting business, the nine bad ones can move out of my way. And I'm going to tell you the same thing in tech. You're going to run a good business, you know, that has a good fundamental story and has a reason. You're going to be able to survive. I love how you called out that statistic because I think we've all quoted it too many times or I have quoted it too many times. But what if I think about the amount of people I know that run businesses, I don't know that many flat out fails like those. I don't know that many flat out disasters. And I know they're out there and I'm not minimizing anyone who's had that experience. But you're right. Most people are willing to work hard and provide an honest, like customer centric yeah. like solution. And like you said, be honest, be integral. If there's a problem, fix it. Those kind of things. They, they stick around. Yes, they do. They absolutely do. Because there's plenty that yeah, don't, do. right? There's just, yeah. hey, right yeah. now, I'm going to pick an Air Canada and I'm going to say their name out loud. These guys have been holding my money since COVID. What other business on earth doesn't have to deliver I a product, but doesn't have to return my money? It's stealing, right? So, <laughs> so I will hold this against the airline industry forever. Last year, you charged me 2,500 euros to fly to Madrid. And this year, you're telling me you're broke and you need my tax money? Yeah. Yes. It sickens me. Yeah. That's a whole, I think we could do a whole podcast just on that world. (laughs) Amen. Air Canada specifically being one to call out. So as a guy who's travels the world, has to go as a global perspective on, on business and worked in different, different sectors, any kind of recommends, this is a question I always ask if we were going to build a dashboard for Calgary to say that we're moving in the right direction, what kind of indicators would we put on there? Like what would we build into our, into our, into our beautiful dashboard to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe pricing price, like things are going in the right direction. What would you throw on that dashboard? Number one, I'd embrace the university system. SATE is great. UFC is great. They have brilliant people attending those universities. Let's give them jobs, right? Let, let's mm. give them an opportunity to stay in Calgary instead of going to Toronto or Vancouver to look for work when they get out of these schools. I like that one right? a lot. Yeah, right. uh, number two, I would engage the empty real estate downtown. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd hope maybe Kenny or someone else at the political level could create a tax shelter for the people that own these buildings that are dying and say, let us put some tech companies in there at, you know, op cost only or something else. The government will help it out. We'll build the local tax base by keeping people here. We'll make use of the buildings that are otherwise dead and decaying. And, you know, we'll put some cash back into the local economy. So I think taking care of our downtown sector and getting the government to help us do that. And, and again, you know, what we need is tax incentives, which is going to be my third thing, yeah. which is people yes. invest in tech right now. They do not get the tax shelters of other investments. And that's a sin and it needs to change and it needs to change immediately because I have a higher risk of deploying my own capital in, in Alberta than I do in other places. Again, we're competing with the global economy. Wake up, Alberta government. You have to be better or the same. You cannot be less. And right now, that is a definite problem. And is that a change of leadership or just a a change of mindset or both? You know, I don't know. What I'm going to say is I live in one of the most conservative communities in this country, and yet uh, they don't vote that way. At least they didn't vote that way last time. Um, (laughs) They haven't done what I think they need to do to clean house. I mean, if I was a board member, I'd say it's time for a clean slate. Uh, and yet there's no clean. Push the, push the, push the reset button. Yeah, push the reset button. And you know what I'm also going to say in this, you and I could get on a diatribe again for days. We need business guys to run for office. Uh, we need people that have been successful running honest businesses to take a break and go run the government because we've let a bunch of unqualified people do it. And we see the results. Our country with, you know, 
rough math, 35 million citizens is now a, a, a trillion dollars in debt. Um, I saw, you know, a storm figure from the hailstorm last week in Calgary. I don't know if you saw this $1 billion. I did. Yes. Yes. Dude, I did. Do the, do the math. Divide 1 million people by a, by a billion dollars. And good. Did every citizen I, yeah, in no. town get a hundred thousand dollar check here? What? It's nonsense. Right. So anyway, we're, we're getting fleeced and that needs to stop at both the government level and I'll say the macro headwind level of the economy. Well, it's interesting. I was listening to, I don't know, maybe Rogan, I forget who I was listening to ranting, but just talking about the, who we need to be in, in the political seats, but how unattractive those roles have become in terms of the scrutiny and the, everything that that is. We're not going to attract the best of the best into those roles, which is what we need to get us out of this. You know, if you want to just talk about it, kind of broad sweeping statements. Well, I, I'm going to give you a real world example. I was asked quite heavily as a conservative in Georgia, where I came from, to run for office when I sold my first company in 2000. Um, I was well connected. I was young. Uh, and I was out of a job. So, hey, Joel, why don't you go run for Senate? Why don't you go run for Congress? We'll help you out. We'll fund you. And I remember sitting down and thinking, gosh, my calling is to make the world a better place. Maybe the making the world a better place is through community service in the form of government. And then I watched what they do to these guys. They lie about them. Yeah. You know, Brett Kavanaugh is the greatest example. How do you take a guy with the squeakiest of squeaky clean Yale graduate, 40-year history, not one complaint. All of a sudden, he goes to be a politician, and they castrate him. I'm not going <laughs> to do that, Tyler, and nor is any of my – Jesus, but Joel, it sounds so appealing. Yeah. I don't understand but why. Nor is any of my ilk, right? So we're going to keep running businesses until this country is no longer affordable, and then we're going to move our capital and our families to other countries where it is. That is what's happened in the world that for is, 100 and years. That is a scary reality. Yeah, absolutely. And it is it is happening. And there is this belief of like, no, no, it'll never end up there. We're, we're working hard to go there, I would say. Well, I mean, it has to come from somewhere. I mean, I've watched Costa Rica as just an example. You and I both travel. Costa Rica's growth over the last mm -hmm. 30 years, right? 30 years ago, I went there and it was like third world, third world country. And now you go there and it's like, you know, not Chicago, but it's pretty metropolitan. Well, where did that money come uh, from? Uh, yes, it, yes, it is. That yeah. money mm -hmm. and that populace and that educated group of people came to that country in the last 30 years from somewhere else. And they brought their capital and their family and their talents with them. Some, yes, and their, and their, their work ethic, their drive, and, their, and, their, will, and their, their appetite to make things better. So no different than capital capital moves around the world based on the path of least resistance. So does the human population. Um, mm. So now what I'm seeing is we're bringing in a record number of people to Canada, but we have the least number of jobs we've ever had. It's like this deathly spiral that just can't continue. And it's not that I'm opposed to immigration. I'm saying set up the country to accommodate the success of the immigrants or you've simply added to the problem. For, for yeah, us yeah, and yeah. So you're right. So it's immigrants. not an immigration problem. It's it's more of a structure and how it actually works. Yeah. Problem. How do we accommodate it and make this a welcoming place for people to add value when they get here? instead of just sit on the, the, the social dole of the country, right? Yes, the sooner the problem with yeah, sooner or later you what's a, my favorite one of my favorite Margaret Thatcher quotes, problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's That's money. Right. It always resonates. And it's every day I see something in the news that makes me think of that quote in my mind. Well, you know, it's it's funny because socialism is a bit of a funny word here in Canada. It's it's, um, it is, it is. People use it in a positive light. And as an American I just grew up that they were the enemy, right? Sorry. Um, capitalism yep. is, is, is the good guys and socialism is the bad guys. And I served in the U S army for six years when we were in a cold war with Russia. Right. Um, so from that perspective, I just think that we're going to have to make some changes. Um, or once again, the 35 million people becoming 60 and the, you know, 45 million of them being in poverty is not a great success story for Canada. Oh, no, that's scary when you start throwing things out like that. But if you run the graph out far enough and on the path we're on, it starts to get it starts to get scary. I like, forget about, you know, like it's great to talk about Calgary and the ecosystem here, but none of us are on an island here. We're not in a bubble. We're all we're all tied to, you know, the province to, you know, Canada on a national stage. We're coming out of COVID and the dead and the increase, like you said, even just using that hailstorm as, as one example. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And that, that, that would, could arguably just be considered a very, well, it is an isolated incident, but we get a billion dollar price tag, let alone the money that's gone back into, you know, what's happened to support the economy, obviously over the last three and a half, four months. Yep. Well, Joel, we've, uh, we've, we've come, I, I wouldn't even say come full circle. I think we're just kind of starting what could be a three or four hour episode here, but I really appreciate one, your, your, your passion. I love anybody who will just come on and say, Hey, listen, this is my views, but here's what I see. Here's what I think. 
and uh, the obviously your track record of living somewhere, coming to coming to Calgary, choosing to live here because of the city and the quality of life, but being eyes wide open to some of the challenges we have. That's here. right. Well, I'm here to help. Right. And the bottom line is uh, I'd like to make Calgary a wonderful place or I shouldn't say it already is a wonderful place. I'd like to make it better. It is. Right. Um, I'd like to help it stay as good as it is. Um, so if there's anything I can do to help you, to help the, the community or, you know, frankly, even just give some startup advice to people. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm the only Joel lead so on earth. And, uh, you know, if you Google one of, one of those, one of those rare names where there, where there's actually only one That's of right. you <laughs> today, there is only one of me. So, um, anyway, yes. uh, I'm happy to help is the, the bottom line. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. And that was, you know, typically how we wrap is how to get a hold of you. And if, you know, if people, if you're open to having people reach out, which I, which I hear loud and clear. So for yourself, just curious, do you take part? Are you involved with startup Calgary? What, what, you know, Terry rocks doing a platform CDL. Are you involved in any of those organizations from a mentor or kind of a support perspective, or is it more kind of one-to-one? You just kind of put yourself out there. I put myself out there and, and to answer your question, no, I kind of pulled back from the formal engagements of things like Terry's and, a at 100, et cetera, more because my distraction to my current role, right? I wasn't doing, I, I, I was doing, let me say this. I couldn't do my current role justice and do those organizations justice on a formal basis. But that's, that's fair. There is only so many yeah, hours. That's in right. But here's what I can do. I can have a 15 minute call with a 27 year old version of Joel Lizzo who wants to become the 53 year old version of Joel Lizzo. And I can probably <laughs> help them cut a lot of corners to get there. In a five, you 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 can give them the map to the minefield. Yeah, in a ten minute conversation instead of this huge thing. And the bottom line is, uh, you know, I I do mentor some people. It's a pretty special relationship for you know people that I choose and they choose to to have it. But you know, I do do a mentorship, mm-hmm. fairly informal program. But you know, where I just try and help people get things going because it makes me feel good. It's amazing how everybody wins in those situations. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> um, you know, my life's you, not about you, you, everybody walks away. That's right. Yeah. My, my, my life is no longer about chasing dollars. It's about chasing smiles. And if there's somebody else's, it just makes mine bigger. Well, I heard you loud and clear about making the world a better place. And that, and that moves through different cycles as we all go through life and the, and the, the, the journey that it is. <laughs> well, Hey, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the time and opportunity to share my story and, and hopefully it will help some people who've been able to listen. Joel, absolute pleasure having you on. It was great to get to know you and uh, learning your perspective. Thank you, sir. 